Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoon. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, it's me, it's Nicole. This is my awesome podcast. Um, this is a really crazy time in our world and specifically in my life. So uh, those of you who are stumbling upon Run This World for the first time, this will all be very interesting for you. Those of you who are tried and true listeners, and I know I have some people who have listened to every single one of my episodes. Thank you so much. Keep pushing it out. And I'm going to keep pushing it out because this project, this project matters and it means a lot to me and it brings me joy, especially at times in my life when things are a little bit upside down. And this is one of them. So I mentioned in the last episode and anyone who follows me or Skirt Sports knows that I have moved my company, my amazing, beloved, um, just deeply motivating, inspiring brand um, into our final finishing shoot. We are, we just launched our finish line sale. And basically what that means is that we are moving after 15 years towards closing our doors. Um, And there are quite a few reasons for this, but Everything has truly been accelerated by what's going on in the world and uh, the economic climate right now. Um, So trying to do this as gracefully. (laughs) Oh, gosh, this is so crazy. You know, I don't write my introductions and outros anymore. I just freaking speak now. So I'm trying to do this gracefully. And this is not a graceful thing. I mean, I'm I am right now effectively moving towards ending the life of what I'm calling my first child. Actually, I'm not really ending her life. I'm just like sending her off to college. And there is a chance that the like physical part of skirt sports, the clothing line may not exist again. And that's why if you have been waiting to buy skirt sports and you're like, maybe someday I'll buy some, like do it now because there may never be a someday. But, you know, within this incredible brand, I would say the only reason skirt sports has been successful for 15 years is because of the community that we've created. That means you, many of you. Um... It's, it's all about creating connection. At the end of the day, I think that's what I was called to do in this life was to create connection. I don't know, but I, when I step back and look at all of the things that I've touched, the things that really rise to the surface, including this podcast, are about sharing and helping people connect. Because when we do that, it just, the world becomes a little less daunting, a little more exciting and a lot more fun. And we make friends and friends make the world go round. (laughs) So, um, 
so here's what happened. On May 1st, we launched our finish line sale. We were, first of all, the, um, the first thing that happened is that our site went down for an hour. Like literally just no one could place an order because the traffic overwhelmed it. Like the internet went down. <laughs> Skirt Sports customers crashed the internet or at least our website. Um, but at 7 a.m. on May 1st, things started cranking again and it was off the charts. I mean, we were getting five to 10 orders a minute. I'm not kidding. Um, and we're not talking about one item. Like literally I was in there last Friday packing. I mean, we're still catching up from May 1st on Friday. And I packed an order with 17 items. I mean, I think you understand that this is the time to get those things you love. Everything's on sale, by the way. Something steeper than others. Um, so... So in the very first week, we did over 3,500 orders. And for a little frame of reference, um, I would consider like 100 orders to be a, a pretty strong day, you know, just like a strong, solid, steady day and a day where you could almost not keep up. So 3,500 orders in a week, that's, that's a lot. So we have our five employees that are still on board and lovely, amazing people that I've been just absolutely blessed to work with. Uh, they are all with me. <laughs> we are all in there um, shipping away and doing things like reaching out to you because in some cases uh, there was such a frenzy for the very last item, you know, the last color and size of an item that three or four people might have it in their cart at the same time and the system allowed everybody to buy it. So only one person would get it. So uh, some of you will be receiving emails that say, I'm so sorry, but this one item didn't ship. But fortunately, many of you had six, seven or 17 items on your list. So hopefully you'll be okay. Um, so if you haven't shopped Skirt Sports, get over there and shop it. There's no codes allowed. There's no discounts because everything's on sale. Um, the other thing that happened is that it's called the finish line sale because we see that the line is finally coming. We've been running this race for 15 years. It's been an incredible ride. Lots of ups and downs. We walked sometimes, we sprinted sometimes, but uh, we're entering that finish line shoot here. And the reason that I'm not calling it a going out of business sale or something like that is that we're still seeking a buyer. And what's really cool is that when we, when we launched the sale on May 1st, I was besieged by people who, some individuals, some organizations, um, other brands who, who have expressed interest in buying skirt sports. And so I'm taking every single call. I'm talking to people. I'm sharing information. And I am working hard <laughs> to to push on that little thing called hope, right? And to turn that tiny little glimmer of hope into a much brighter flame. Um, and I, and I, I think it's working. I think, and I actually believe that, that there may be part two. <laughs> and the really, really cool thing for anybody who comes on board is that there is now an opportunity to reinvent 
because the way we were doing business, we reinvented a couple times over 15 years. You have to, you really do. Um, but it's time to re- reinvent again. And I will be absolutely behind and supporting whoever comes in and, and helps take, you know, steer the ship. So what you can do is spread the word. I have seen an outpouring of love and what I would call tributes. Um, at first I felt like, oh my gosh, am I reading like what people would say at my memorial service or skirt sports memorial service? And then I thought, no, it's actually kind of like what what people would say about you when you get inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I know this because I went to a Hall of Fame induction in October when my husband was inducted into the uh, Hawaii Ironman Hall of Fame. So here's the thing. You guys, you have some incredible stories about the way that Skirt Sports, whether it's the product or the community, the people you've met, um, the things that you have found that, that have brought you strength and confidence and joy over the years, and you've been posting them. And some of you have been posting your collections, and I am floored. They're like almost as big as mine, like an entire bed covered in what looks to be 50 items from Skirt Sports, keep posting, keep sharing those stories because people are noticing and that is what's driving people to contact me to say, I think this may be my next thing. Um, Keep posting. It just may help us find the next new owner of Skirt Sports. Wow. So, yeah, we got a podcast to do though, don't we? I need to sit down someday when I can, when I'm free of not having um, an eight-year-old coming in and running in and Wilder say, mom, I'm hungry, or maybe who cares? Maybe I should just do it and let her interrupt. doesn't really matter anyway. It's my podcast, right? I think me and Tim should sit down and talk about this 15-year journey, Um, and I will do that. It's just we're in it right now. We're We're in the craziness. So in the meantime, I am still hosting or having interviews with incredible people. They're a little further apart right now because, as I mentioned, I have been going into the warehouse every day and Tim has been homeschooling Wilder every day and it's just been a little bit wacky. But I want to tell you that this podcast is not going anywhere So be sure that you keep tuning in. And if you get tired of hearing my weekly updates about skirt sports, just fast forward that part. Get into the meat and the love of the great people that I'm bringing on board. So today I have an incredible conversation with a woman named Sarah Dean. I have actually been featured on her podcast. See, she's the creator and host of the Shameless Mom Academy podcast. Just love the name, right? It kind of says something right there. She literally has over 2 million downloads. It's a big deal. And, you know, Sarah's biggest passion is to help women own their space. I'm just really going to call her a crusader for women. She has been through some serious life and career transitions. Um, You're going to hear about them today, both life and career, where she realized that how she was implementing her core values no longer resonated with her. It's not that her core values necessarily changed. It's that 
how she was serving people um, just didn't feel right anymore. My goodness, sounds a little bit like what I'm going through too. It's time for change. It's time for something new. And when you do that, it is scary. So we are, you are in for a treat today with Sarah. You are going to hear us talk about amazing things like core values. You're going to hear us talk about transformation. You're going to hear us talk about the idea of normal and how that really doesn't exist. But at the end of the day, you're going to be reminded again and again of her final nugget, which I'm going to tell you before the episode even starts, that if there's anything you can do to keep yourself going forward, it's to keep showing up. So everyone, thanks for showing up today. Let's bring Sarah on the show. I'm, um, I switched to Zoom for my podcasts yeah. when all this hit because I was like, let's see if we can, oh, I think it's working. Okay, it's recording. Because um, I was like, you know, I think it might be good to see people's faces, right? It's fun. It's definitely fun. It definitely helps. Um, you look showered. I did shower. I did not <laughs> wash my hair. I blue dry my sweaty hair <laughs> as one does. Awesome. I didn't know that was a, th- okay, so wait, I have short hair, so I don't really do anything with it. You have like yeah. medium length hair. Yeah. So blow drying, it gets is that like what a blowout like is? on here and like around my neck and then I just like blow dry the sweat. I mean, no one needs to know. No one's smelling me except for my family these days. So, well, that's very true. But do you kind of care what your family thinks? I mean, not in a pandemic. And especially, uh, you know, your, your kid. So Vinny, right? Yes. Your little boy. Yes. How old is he? He's seven. Oh my gosh. So I isn't mean, he, isn't no, he kind of stinky like in general? So he's not stinky yet, but he has, he has one shirt that he wears every single day, a tie dye shirt um, that I make him one day a week take off so I can wash it. And then he, we have a very heavy shedding dog and he cuddles with the dog and like climbs on her bed constantly. So his pants are typically like Adidas sweats that have fur all over them. And then his shirt is a shirt he's worn for six days. So, I mean, (laughs) if I dry my sweaty hair, I'm still the freshest person in the family. Oh my gosh. I love it. You know, I don't know if you have the same issue, but bath time is... It's one of those, like, it's so hard to get my daughter in the bath, but then when she's in the bath, it's so hard to get her out of the bath. 100%. And she never, ever, ever wants to wash her hair. I mean, it's a thing. Like, we had to oh. make her sign, like, I, Wilder Boom promise to wash my hair on Thursdays and Sundays, and then, like, oh she God. still tries to negotiate. Yeah. So, we had that with Vinny for ever. Um, but he, it was only when I helped him with his bath. So if I was washing his hair, it was for every day that I ever washed his hair for the first six years of his life. It was every time was like the very first time it was a traumatic experience. Every time if my husband would do it, it was like completely fine. Like he would not whine a single bit, even though we use the same protocol. And then we finally let him start washing his own hair. And now, I mean, I don't know that it's actually getting clean, but there's way less drama around it. So I don't even care. I'm 
Well, I mean, that's just the thing. Stride in there, but whatever. I mean, like, it's kind of like you pick your battles, right? Right. Is totally. that your battle right now? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> Trying to keep kids six feet away when they run into each other in the neighborhood, that's definitely oh. a battle. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. All right. Well, we're just rolling today. We're rolling right in. Um, it's I so know. good. To, this is so fun. I know. So cool to chat with you. Um, I really love the conversation we had when I was on your podcast. Yeah. Amazing. Shameless Mom Academy. Everybody listening must subscribe. If you haven't already, you just, you have the best outlook, the best guests, the most fun. I love it. So make sure you're tuning in. Tell me about, actually, tell me about your podcast. Like how and when did that come about? Because that, what you're doing with it is changing people's lives. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's been a really, really fun journey and one that I couldn't have like I had a bit of a vision, but I was also a little bit like, can I really make this happen? Um, so I had my son seven years ago. So that's when I became a mom. We went through a few years of infertility to get pregnant, um, which was a whole big thing. Um, at the time that I had him, I owned a gym. So I'd been in the fitness industry for quite some time since I'd been in the fitness industry since 2003. And after I had him, I just started having this shift around my core values and what I wanted to be talking about and how I wanted to be talking about women and bodies and taking up space and power. And one of the things that had always really tripped me up, um, in working with women is how much of their worth and value was determined by the size or shape or look of their body. And after I had my son, that became even more glaring that as I was working with people and working with moms specifically, um, I recognized how much they constantly prioritized goals around as soon as I lose 20 pounds, as soon as I lose this belly fat, as soon as I, as soon as I, as soon as I, and it was all around this shrinking behavior. As soon as my body gets smaller, then I can go do this other thing. And that was always this top goal. It wasn't like, well, I want to write a book and then I'm going to go try to get healthy. It was like, no, I'm going to lose 30 pounds. And then that'll call me to qualify me to write the book or go for a promotion or sit on the board at the boardroom table. And after I had my son, I was like, I feel like I'm doing a disservice by my, like my core values started to feel at odds with each other. Like I wanted to be in this place of helping moms feel as powerful as they possibly could and help them take up space and have loud voices and have power and really own and embrace their power. And as I was trying to like shift my messaging at the gym around that, I was like, everyone still just wants to shrink their bodies. Like you can't take up all the space in the world and have your top goal in life for most of your life be around weight loss. And that's the case for so many women. So out of that was born the Shameless Mom Academy, where it was really like I dropped all the conversations. I was like, I'm never once having a conversation about belly fat on the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm done with that conversation. And so um, I created the show to have a place where I could just exclusively talk about helping women take up space. And that was that. And so, the, and then, you know, a year and a half into having the show, I decided to sell my gym and go all in on the show and building a business around it. Oh my gosh. Well, there's so much, so much to this story. I mean, definitely this is the world I live in is mm -hmm. helping women find happiness in their bodies. Because, yeah. you know, as a clothing company, we're creating products for women to use during fitness. And if the message in fitness is your body's not good enough, right. no one will ever put our clothes on to get started. Right. So it, there's yeah. a lot of conflicts there. I can totally see that. Yes. And what's kind of yeah. cool about you sharing or starting with this part of your journey is like 
your identity shifted multiple times in this few years that you're talking about. Yeah. Can we, can we talk a little bit about your infertility journey? Like let's maybe start there. It sounds like, you know, you were, you had a partner, you're married and, and it was like, okay, it's time to have a kid and it, it didn't happen. Right. Well, and not only did it not happen, I'm someone who like had never gone without birth control, like ever, 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 ever. So then it was like this really cruel joke that I was like, oh, like we never even needed that. (laughs) All the worry about this. So it was was a little ironic, but um, so we ended up, we had this three-year journey and it was, so for someone, I am like a planner, I'm a control freak. We were very nervous about having a child. And I think you and I talked about this when you were on my show. Like we were nervous about having a child, but we also thought if we didn't do it, we would always regret it. So we should do it. And then I got to a certain age where I was like, okay, well, like we really should if we're going to. Um, And then it didn't happen. And then it was this whole shift and speaking to identity. Like I'm someone who has never not been able to achieve something I set my mind out to achieve and to not, to basically, I remember one of my good friends who I've known since the second grade, I remember telling her, I'm like, I keep failing the test. Like I've never gotten an F in my life and I'm getting an F on fertility. And as someone who's only gotten A's ever, 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 this was, there was this piece of it that was like sad and, and very emotionally trying. And then there was this like high achiever piece that was like, what are we doing? What's the next step? Like I could not stop obsessing about it and just like go. So there was a lot of our journey that was me really just like driving the car and being like, here's the next stop. Here we go. This is the thing. And so by the time we got pregnant, it was a little bit like, holy cow, like what did we just go through? (laughs) And we had had to make, you know, a ton of decisions and financial and physical investments and all these different ways. Um, and that was a huge shift in my identity and really eye-opening into this piece of my identity that had never failed at anything and could not achieve this one thing. Um, so we finally got pregnant after it was two and a half years, I think. Um, the, the first, that second year was really like a lot of nine rounds of fertility treatment and like really hardcore intense stuff. Um, and then got pregnant and had a healthy pregnancy, healthy baby, all that stuff. And then again, high achiever, like entering motherhood and thinking like, okay, I find, here's the dream, finally got it. And then, oh my God, it was so hard. <laughs> like um, sucked the life. I, nursing was awful. The hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, it was, I had all sorts of milk supply issues. I got super sick multiple times. I was, I ended up in the ER when my son was five weeks old because of a nursing situation, like just so many things. And again, high achiever, I was like, how do I keep failing this? Like, this is not who I am. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. This is, this is so crazy. And I, I know a lot of people listening are relating because on many levels, whether it's about having a child or other things that you decide you're going to do, and then they aren't as easy as you mm-hmm. thought they would be, or maybe they'll never happen in the way you thought right. they would. Right. And so, you know, I think about like, people who make the decision, they, you know, they realize they're going to have to try really hard, you know, then it becomes a chore. So we're talking about oh sex being a chore. Oh my God. 100%. Which, I mean, how, and that's sucky for both parties. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know why I especially feel bad for like the guy because <laughs> he, well, like we can't, we don't have to perform at like a certain level, but they right. do. 
Right. No, like I felt like I have to like really pretend that I'm into this. Like I'm like, we're on day 10, like day 10. How am I going to bring it today? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So, and so like, you know, maybe the first few months you could look at it as this fun challenge. And then after that, you're like, oh my God. And then it's dragging on into years, you know, and then you start doing things that cost a lot of money and you're Mm -hmm. investing. And I mean, did there ever come a time when you were like, 10,000 more dollars and we're done or something. I mean, was there like a deadline? Yeah. So with when getting pregnant with my son, we were lucky in many ways, none of which felt lucky at the time, but we were lucky because we were able to do, um, inner, inner cervical and inner uterine, um, uh, oh my gosh, injections. It's not injection, inseminations. So inner uterine and inner, uh, cervical, uh, inseminations. And so those were much, and we did them at my doctor's office, not a fertility clinic. Um, and so that was much less expensive. Um, but then, so we got lucky in that regard that the, there was some financial commitment to what we had to do the first time, but it wasn't over the top after when my son was three, we decided, um, that we would try for a second child. And that at that time, based on what had we gone through the first time and my age being at that time, I was almost 40. My doctor was like, I really, this time, based on everything you went through last time, you don't, we don't have nine rounds of good eggs left in you. And that's what it took last time. So she's like, we need, if you want this to work, you need to go all in and just go straight to IVF. So, which then we had to go into this world of like really hardcore fertility stuff. And, um, for that, I was really resistant because infertility is big business. Like it is big business. It's gross. It's disgusting. It's a massive moneymaker. It is like, it honors people of privilege very exclusively. Like, so it's like, here's how rich people can go have babies. Like that just felt so gross to me. Um, And so I was just really frustrated from the get go. We ended up going to the university of Washington, which is basically like how poor people can, and I, poor in air quotes. I mean, it's still expensive, but it's like the least expensive way to do IVF. And it's a much more like, uh, just kind of straightforward clinical. It just felt way better to me. So it felt less hoity toity and less, um, like I was being taken advantage of by this disgusting business model. So we ended up going to UW and the doctor what the doctor we worked with looked over all of my stuff, my husband's stuff and kind of our circumstances and said, you know, based on what I'm looking at here, I think you need to do three rounds of egg retrievals. And then based on that, here's where we, based on kind of what we get out of that, here's where we would go from there. It would take X amount of months and blah, 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 all this stuff. And then this would cost like, you know, anywhere from 30 to $40,000. And I was like, yeah, well, we're not doing that. Like I'm not doing three rounds of anything (laughs) and nor am I spending up to $40,000. And so we both, like I put a time, I put, I had boundaries around my body and around our finances. And it was interesting because, and we were in such a lucky position because we already had my son. So it was way easier to put a boundary around it. And I also very much felt like no matter the outcome, we've already won the lottery. So if this doesn't work, we're good. So we did have these caps of like, I'm going to do one round. We're only going to do it in a certain way that costs this amount of money. But then that failed. And I was devastated. Like I had really thought I could be cool either way. I was like, we already have Vinny. All is good. If this doesn't work, great. it's fine. If it does work, great. We could hit the jackpot twice. But then when it didn't work, it was absolutely devastating. And I 
really reconsidered those boundaries. Like, do we try this again? And, but it just didn't seem reasonable to try it again. Our results were so poor. Um, so then I was high achiever immediately. Like, do we do foster care? Do what's the, I mean, I literally was on the phone with an adoption clinic, like the afternoon that we found out that, that this didn't work. Um, so we ended up giving it a lot of time and over the course of a lot of time decided not to pursue anything further. Um, but there definitely becomes boundaries. And I think that's where, you know, it's really hard to know where to draw those boundaries. And it's so different from one person to the next. And I've known people who've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to get their first child and gone through endless, endless physical, um, you know, situations and challenges. And so I think you don't know what you'll do until you're in that situation. You don't know how far, how far you'll let it go or how far you'll take it. Um, and you kind of have to feel it out as you go. You know, it's, I feel like it's like so many things in life. It's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. You take the first step. Yeah, I could do see that. And, you know, and you just kind of keep rolling down the hill. Yeah. And usually you have to create the thing that stops you. Right. Because yeah. you could keep going. Yes. And I think that there was a lot of things at the beginning. And especially when we went through things trying to get pregnant with Vinny, I was like, well, I would never do this. And I would never do that. We did every single one of those things at some point. Like, Oh my gosh, that sounds like my birth. I would I never take say, drugs. I would never have no, a C-section. Well, <laughs> I had the same thing with my birth too. So I did, I did an, a home birth, which is like a whole thing. But um, there were so many things around that where I was like, well, I'm not going to do this. And I'm not going to do that. And I'm definitely not going to poop in the tub. Like all these things, in it, like every single one of them happened. That is so awesome. I mean, I think one of the points is earlier you said you you felt this like just massive seismic change in your core values. Or maybe you didn't yeah, say that. I just said sure. that. You might have no, said a no, small I, shift. I, no, 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 I really, I mean, I think that the, I think that at the root, my core values were very similar, but in terms of how I was going to serve and impact the world, that was, that shifted dramatically. I think before I had been like, my core values can be over here, but I can give people what they want and serve them in a certain way. And then I was like, no, like I'm way more clear on my core values and I'm not going to feed into this patriarchal view of what a female body should look like or help people try to mold that. Like that's not going to be my, my mission in the world. You know, that's interesting. In general, I think a lot of people have never really thought about their core values for themselves. You know, honestly, the first time I ever really thought about core values was when I was starting my business. And then I created the core values for my business, which were my core values. Yeah. You know, so they're really, you know, mirror each other. But but, um, I think that's something really cool that we could maybe suggest or recommend for people listening to uh, think about. What are your core values? So if you're asking someone to think about this, how would you recommend they they get down and dirty with the concept? Yeah. So I think that you, I actually did this um, right after the election in 2016 or right before the election, I guess. I wrote out my own nasty woman manifesto Um, and I was like, oh, so these are my core values now. Like, thank you. (laughs) Thank you to our leaders who have given me this opportunity and inspiration. So, and when I did that, it was things that were within me that I already had and that I already could have identified, but I'd never put them in a list before. And so I think that 
when you're in trying times and you know, we're recording this in the middle of COVID. So I actually think this is a really great time to do something like this. When you're in the middle of trying times, it's easier um, or more clear to look at who am I? What do I stand for? How do I want to serve? How do I want to impact? What do I believe? All those things, because there's more clarity around it. When things are really hot and polarized, then we can see like, oh, like I stand for this and not for that. And like, I stand for, you know, the greater good and not for like me getting to have my spring break, you know, which I did not get to have last week. And so, um, I think that that was, that created a lot of clarity for me to do that at a time when things, emotions were really heightened. I think looking at um, like how you show up, looking at what your boundaries are with people. So mine have really been, you know, for me coming up with core values is really around how I relate to other people, how I serve other people, what I model to my child. And so it's a lot around empathy and compassion and leadership and kindness and, um, you know, taking care of myself, like independence, taking care of myself as a priority versus prioritizing other people in my family, which is, you know, a little bit controversial. Um, not that I don't also have them high on the list, but they're not necessarily my number one. Um, so, uh, I think that you have to look at all of those things. And I also think you have to give yourself a little space and grace to do it. Like this isn't like start a list, brain dump it, start a note on your phone and come back to it every day for a week or two and see what feels good and then start to narrow it down. Cause I definitely go through phases where I'm like, Oh, here's 37 things that, you know, and that's like, you can't keep track of all that. So then so narrow it down. what's the question that people are answering when they're brain dumping? Is it who, what do I believe in? I think it's, what do I stand for? So what ended up happening with me when I did this, when I created my nasty and manifesto is which I didn't anticipate this, but it was such a gift is it. And I did this a little bit when I came up with core values for my gym too, is in coming up with the core values, you essentially are creating a filter through which you can make decisions. So if someone comes to you to say, and I mean, this would have happened to me at the gym all the time. Someone would come and say, Hey, so there's these weight loss pills we would love for you to sell in your gym. And I'd look at my core values and be like, Oh, well, hmm, that doesn't fit in my core values. So the answer is no. And so when I did this with the Nasty Women Manifesto too, it was a very similar thing. And it became kind of this filter around the podcast when I was like, here's my manifesto. And now I know exactly what I stand for. And so now when I go to make a decision, I can, that's the filter. Like, does this meet these criteria? So I think the question is like, what do I stand for and how do I show up? Um, and I think that you can get a lot of clarity around that. I think there's, yeah. you know, I think there's more nuanced ways to kind of, uh, make those questions more specific as you go. But I think that's kind of where you start. Yes, I like that. And I think the harder part, the easier part, I love your idea that you're going to see things more clearly mm -hmm. during trying times. I think that's yeah. so freaking true. Um, it's how you want to share who you are and what you stand for with the world that's a little harder to get to. Like, yeah. okay, let's go back in time. You used to own a fitness center, a gym. Maybe you even, I don't know, maybe subscribed a little bit to those earlier in life, younger year beliefs that like our bodies, you know, that, that our value was centered a little bit around our bodies. I don't know. I did for sure. And oh, yeah. racing as a pro athlete. Yeah. I yeah. was like, I'll help you lose 20 pounds in 20 days. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. And so- smaller. 
a little more around how you look rather than maybe how you feel, which right. I don't know about you, but that's how it definitely evolved for me. Um, so if you think about what your values were when you had the gym, like what came first? Did this one defining act of deciding to become a mom just change your values? Or was this, was it like a evolving, rolling, you know, rolling evolution for you? It was definitely evolving. Um, I think that that first year after my son was born, I was really lost and confused. And so what happened in that first year is I kept asking or kept waiting um, for things to quote unquote, go back to normal. And we were in this parent group and for, we met for 12 weeks every Wednesday night and every Wednesday we had to do highs and lows. And my low was always like, I'm just waiting for things to go back to normal. But like, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I just, is maybe next by next week, things will go back to normal. And it took me a year, like <laughs> to finally realize, oh, wait, you don't go back. Like you are not the same person on the other side of this journey. And so now, now that you've recognized that, holy cow, what are you going to do with it? And that felt heavy and big and burdensome. It was a little bit freeing because I could finally let go of this notion that like, I'm not going back. But then there was this grieving process of like, okay, so if you're not going back, then where, where are you going to? Um, and so it really took me the next two years. I mean, it was, my son was three when I started the podcast and that's when I really felt like I have something to say and I know what I have to say and I know that it can have impact and I know what I want to do with it. Like there was so much more clarity and it took three years to get there. It took three years of kind of fumbling through my, my business when it was at its most successful, but kind of fumbling through to recognize like I've built this thing that's really successful and I adore the people in it, but I think I have something wrong here. I think that I've done this in a way that doesn't quite work. And there was, I couldn't figure out what was not quite working for a while until I started the podcast. Once I built the Shameless Mom Academy, then I was able to see, oh, wait, like over here, I'm helping women shrink. And over here, I'm helping women shine and grow and take up space. And okay, now how do I resolve that? And then I did try to resolve it. I tried to shift, you know, my business model at the gym was very much built on transformation programs, which were all about like for four weeks, you're going to be on this certain nutrition program and we're going to take before and after pictures and measure you and weigh you. And that was what made me money. And that's how we got new members in. And so recognizing like, holy cow, that's not what I want to stand for anymore. And then I made all that stuff optional and it was so, people were like, but wait, that's what we want. Like, you're not going to measure us. You're not going to take pictures or if the pictures are optional, but like, how are we going to, how are we going to keep track of this and be accountable? And it was, and then I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Like I've created this whole culture around a system of measurement and worth and that. So yeah. So I, I mean, I did do some reframing around it for sure. And we kind of changed how programming worked. Um, but so it was kind of this trickle over those three years of like, okay, I've built this thing that's working really well. And oh, shoot, maybe it's not what I really believe in. And now I'm a different person. I see things differently. Um, so yeah, I would say it was definitely an evolution. Oh my gosh. Um, so I'm so relating. It, you know, I remember like from one day to the next on social media, it was like you could show before and after pictures. And then like literally the next day, it was like that is shameful to show me more and after pictures because you know, you're, I don't know why, because you're all the things you just said. 
Right. Like it's about measuring and it's, we don't, we want to get away from that mentality. And um, I totally understood it, but I also was sort of caught off guard. Like, wait, I thought that was inspirational. Suddenly it's not inspirational anymore. Right. And then like, how do you change your whole marketing message? I mean, that was so overwhelming to me as a like very small business. And I was like, we have to change every single thing that we're putting out there, which felt like a huge responsibility. It also felt like the only right thing to do. And I was like, what do we put instead? Like, just like, be strong. Yay. (laughs) Well, and that's evolved as well. But you know, it is interesting too, because for the women who have gone through these transformations, they're very proud of where they've come Yeah, and they want to share where they were. Yeah. Yeah. But now, now it's sort of, you know, looked at a little bit differently. So you just have to be careful. So I actually need to understand your athletic and fitness background. Oh yeah, let's. How did you get into owning a gym? I'm imagining you were an athlete. Well, kind of. So um, I did not grow up athletic. I grew up not playing any sports, being terrified of PE class. Um, I broke my thumb in PE class my junior year in high school and had to sit out for like six weeks, and it was like the best gift that happened to me in my entire life because anything to get out of PE was like a dream for me. So I did not grow up athletic at all. I started um, after my senior year in high school. So right before I went to college, I started, I had always been overweight, total macaroni and cheese kid, um, raised on like chicken, frozen foods and boxed foods. Um, And I started working out to lose weight right at the end of my senior year, about to go into college. And I had a lot of success. I lost weight and got recognized for it and got a lot of positive reinforcement. And that was hugely, hugely motivating to me. And so I, and, and again, like things have changed so much. The reinforcement I got was not healthy reinforcement, but it kept me going and I clung to it. Um, and, uh, so I ended up starting running and it was this like very secret project because I had not grown up athletic. So I was like, I don't want anyone to know that I'm going running. I don't want anyone to see me. I don't want to talk about it but I started running and I would run from my house. I would leave my house and I would try to run for as many days in a row as possible. And every time I left my house, I tried to run a little bit further and a little bit faster. And it was awful. And I remember at one point being like 42 days in a row and being like, I hate this so much. Every single day is harder than the day before. Like at what point does this like get better. But I had no one to ask. There was no social media. I had no resources, no mentors. And I was like, I just guess I keep doing this. I did that for years, like just tortured myself with running. And then after college, I started working my first job after college, I worked in a psychiatric hospital and a couple of my coworkers wanted to sign up to do a 5k. I'd never done a race before. I was terrified, even though I was regularly doing like five, six mile runs to sign up for a three mile run (laughs) where there'd be a crowd was terrifying to me. So we did a 5k. It was super fun. Then we did a half marathon and I like it changed my life because I could not believe that I was able to run that far, that this girl who had never, you know, who hated PE class, who was not athletic at all could go out and run 13 miles. And so I did that. Those same coworkers were like, let's do a triathlon. I said, absolutely not. I don't do that. And a year later, I did my first triathlon and loved it. We, it was, there was like five or six of us that did it. All of them hated it except for me. Like I got done and I was like, when are we going again? <laughs> and so then I did a ton of triathlons for years after that and just sprint distance ones, but I had so much fun with them. 
Um, and so I did all sorts of endurance um, triathlons and then and half marathons for many years. And at a certain point in my career at the psychiatric hospital, I got very burned out and thought I need to go back to school to do for the next thing, a new career. And I was going to go get my master's in teaching, which was going to be $50,000. And I would be making the same amount of money when I got done at the end. And so I was like, that doesn't make sense. So then I thought, well, I could go become a personal trainer. It would cost me $6,000 and I can make way more money when I'm done. And even if I only do it for a few years, it might just be really fun. Like I'm so personally invested in fitness and this is so fun for me that why don't I just make my hobby, my career and see what happens. And so that's what I ended up doing. And wow. Okay. So you were a personal trainer mm-hmm. having fun, turning a passion into a job, right. yes. but then that doesn't mean you just buy a gym. <laughs> no, that was like a whole evolution over many years. So I started out as a personal trainer, working in other gyms. Um, I was always an independent contractor. So I always had my own business. Um, I was never an employee of a gym uh, because I wanted to make more money. And so I, as an independent contractor, you were able to do that. So I had to get a little bit scrappy around like being a business owner and being an entrepreneur very early on, even though I did not have a clue what that meant, nor did I embrace being an entrepreneur. Um, in 2009, 2008, 2009, when the economy crashed, I lost a ton of my personal training clients. And so I had to reframe that whole, restructure that whole business and go from one-on-ones into group stuff. And what ended up happening at that time is I was training out of two little studios and one of them had a kind of a classroom off to the side. And I was like, okay, I can bring groups in here and have like five or six people come in at a time. And that became my new business model because it was cheaper for my clients to work out with me that way. It was way more valuable in terms of, you know, using my time as a resource. Um, And I ended up building a program out of that that took off over the course of the next year or so. And I outgrew that space and then eventually had to get my own space. So I never really set out to own a gym. In fact, I really resisted it. And even when I went and got my own space, I was still like, maybe I can just find someone else's space. Like that's way low risk compared to getting my own space. But I ended up having to get my own um, because I couldn't find a, re- a, you know, there was no one who was like, yeah, bring your 30 people into my exercise classroom <laughs> um, when I don't need it. And so instead I just ended up getting my own space when I was 38 weeks pregnant, laying flooring in my first gym. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, yes. I didn't realize that. Oh, look, we have a guest. Okay. Hi. See, there's the tie-dye t-shirt. We have to, oh, Wow. That's no joke. And we have another guest, your puppy. <laughs> so hopefully you have an editor. This is what I love about, you know, this is like real life these days. Kids come in and out. I was wondering, like both of us have kids and we're not homeschooling them and it is Tuesday. So how's he getting homeschooled right now? Um, so my hus- he actually just had a class Zoom call that ended five minutes ago. Um, so my husband set him up on that. And now who knows? He's probably pl- going to go play Minecraft. <laughs> You know, I, I feel like, okay, one of the reasons that I believe you have been so successful and developed such an incredible community where you connect people and connect them to each other and to you is because you're relatable, you are imperfect, and you give women this feeling of permission to be 
imperfect themselves. Like they don't have to put on airs. And now I can see through this journey, this, you know, path in to, to where you've, where you've gotten and how you've been able to do that and create that kind of persona for yourself. Um, and it's interesting when you talk about your core values or how you present today with empathy and compassion and kindness and independence. Like I can see that with this, this concept of being, being able to be imperfect, right? Mm -hmm. It's okay. None of us are perfect. I don't know. I feel like there was a big shift not too long ago where imperfect became the new perfect. And you were probably steering the ship in our whole culture with this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know if I'm steering the whole ship. But well, I also think that to embrace imperfection as a perfectionistic type A control freak kind of person, which I very much identify with. So, and I think I attract a lot of those people in my audience, like that, you know, you're a high achiever. You want, you always got straight A's. And now how are you going to go out there and take some risks and get to the next level? And that's really hard, but it's also the only way to get to the next level. Like right. if you're going to be a perfectionist, you're going to stay stuck right where you are right now forever. Um, and so I think that I, and I've done that in a lot of ways in my adulthood that I could have never anticipated as a high school or college student. I mean, my, my college friends from college, like don't believe that I do what I do. Cause they're like, who are like, this is not who you are. <laughs> this is not who we lived with in, you know, back in 96. <laughs> um, but I've really learned the gifts of imperfection. I mean, you know, th- that's Brene Brown's book title, not mine, but um, the gifts of imperfection and like how far that takes you. And so it's, it's really, really worth it. And I think that I've gotten so much better at embracing imperfection and going for things and really trusting that I can figure it out as I go, even if it's imperfect, even if it's ugly. And sometimes even if it's a little bit reckless. (laughs) Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I think one of the big things that happens when we're getting ready to make a shift, and I think it's a really cool topic for you to talk, you know, to speak to today is this idea of pivots or shifts or transitions in life. Um, We're all like in this holding pattern right now, but I have a feeling a lot of people are going to come out of this ready to make a shift, a pivot, a transition, whether they're leading that decision or whether it happened to them during this time. A lot of people have lost their jobs. So, you know, there is something new that's going to happen. And the first, I, I feel like the very first emotion that usually hits is fear. Mm-hmm. And when you're operating out of that place of fear, it's very difficult to take the steps forward. But as you just said, the only way to do something is to take steps forward. Right. So maybe you can talk about this concept. I, I don't know, maybe you even have a great example of a time in your life when you you were making a shift and you encountered those first emotions. How do you get through those? I mean, I always feel fear. <laughs> So I'm a pretty anxious person by nature. Like I have not been clinically diagnosed, but I'm sure any clinician would diagnose me with anxiety. And so I feel a lot of fear all the time, but I also am a really good data collector. And so what I mean by that is that I can feel the fear and then look back in my life and be like, okay, so here's the fear that I'm feeling over here that's saying like, don't do that. You might fail. You might look ridiculous. You could lose everything. And then here's the data over here that shows every single time you've tried hard, you have figured it out and you have figured out a way to not only do something and do it 
correctly, but also do it really, really well. That's who you are. And so that fear can be sitting here and telling you like, this is scary. This is unpredictable. You don't have control. And also every time I go for it, I figure it out, even if I fall flat on my face. And so now I can really look at, okay, which one am I going to listen to? And I think that so many of us are in the situation right now of having, you know, having to sit with fear and deciding how are you going to listen? Are you going to listen? And what are you going to listen to? And how are you going to listen? And I think to your point that so many people are going to have shifts up shifts after this. I 100% agree. And I think that I really want to encourage people to start listening now. I feel like a lot of times we go through these things and we don't recognize until after the fact, like, here's the thing that changed my life or here's the thing that changed everything. And I can go back now, you know, years later and say like, okay, that half marathon changed everything. Meeting my husband changed everything. But when you're in it, you're just like, I don't know, this is just what I'm doing. So I'd encourage people right now, because it's the first time any of us have been in a pandemic to look at the, the fact that this might be the thing that changed everything and that it could be super messy and hard and ugly and very confusing um, and terrifying. And also those of us who are ready to recognize that, oh, wait, when things get hard, I get creative. I get, uh, I get crafty. I get, you know, a super scrappy. I figure things out. That's what I do. And I have a track record of doing that. And especially like if you've been an athlete, for sure, you have a track record of doing that. If you have, if you're a mom, for sure, you have a track record of doing that. Like there's certain pieces of our identity that by virtue of those being pieces of us, we've been super able to shift and pivot and adapt. And we've been able to get scrappy every time we fall on our face. And we've been able to evolve and grow and learn huge, massive lessons out of the hardest, darkest times. But you have to be able to identify that that's who you are and where you've come from. And so for those of us that are feeling fear, I think we have to really look at, okay, I feel the fear. The fear is always going to be there. Fear is actually something that keeps us safe. It's very necessary. And so letting it be there for the ride, but it doesn't get to drive. So the fear is going to be there, but I'm still driving. And so it's going to sit right there on my shoulder next to me in the car or whatever, but like I'm driving the car because I know that when I drive, I make things happen. And when I drive, I come out on the other side, even if it's ugly and messy between, you know, point A and point B. Oh, that's, that's such a great way to put it. I, you know, I've been thinking as you're talking here about this idea of going back to normal, right? So you brought that up earlier, like, right, I had a baby. And then I was like, well, when are things going to get back to normal? And then it was like, they're never going to get back to normal. And in the grand scheme of things, this pandemic, this is going to be a blip, right? right? But is there a normal on the other side or is this an opportunity for us to make some changes? Yeah. And one of the questions that, that kind of hit me while you were talking is, I almost have fear of going back to normal. Like I, <laughs> I kind of, he's awesome. Um, I, I kind of want to ask myself, what do I actually appreciate or like or find exciting about what's happening right now and the changes we've actually had to make? Like you mentioned driving, driving the car. Well, literally, we're not driving our cars much. (laughs) And I'm kind of enjoying that. (laughs) So maybe there's something to this and we could, Mm -hmm. you know, pose the question, what is good about what's happening right now in your lives? Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think if this, I think that when this first all started, 
you know, in Seattle, so I'm in Seattle. So we were like the original epicenter. And, um, when this all started, I think that it was like, oh, so for two weeks, things are going to be closed down. And so, okay, like we can, and, and there was a time when two weeks felt like for like the kids are going to be out of school for two weeks. What are we going to do? And so that was this blip where we were like, okay, this is going to be wild and crazy, but we're going to figure it out and then we'll go back to normal. And now we're in this, you know, at this point we've been in it for six weeks here in Seattle. There's probably another six week, six weeks ahead of us. This is going to be historically a blip, but for those of us living through it right now, this will change things. And I think there will not be a going back to normal. I think we're in this, uh, this transition, you know, maybe not unlike the transition into motherhood for me, where you can't go back because now you've seen things and done things and endured things where you're like, Oh, so now I learned all these things about myself, what I value, what I stand for, how I show up, how I want to spend my time, how I don't want to spend my time, like how I want to impact the world or the environment or whatever. And you can't unsee that or unlearn that or like ungrow, you know? Um, and so I think that, I think things are going to definitely shift. And I think there's going to be, I think there's going to be a whole lot of things that come out of this that are going to be so powerful and so amazing um, that I don't say that to dismiss massive hardships that people are feeling or experiencing, but I think that there's going to be a really big shift and I don't think we're going back. Um, I think, I think there's some, you know, like schools will start up again, like God willing, you know, I think there's exactly. Um, But I think there's a lot of things. I think we have this new level of consciousness and awareness from this experience that, and that you you can't take that away. Totally agree. We need to hang out more. (laughs) We can't. (laughs) I know. We literally can't right now. Um, what What are a few things that you personally think may change in your life as you come through the other side? Yeah. So I think one of the things I alluded to was this being out of school thing. And I thought there was no way. So I'll back up prior to this, um, prior to school shutting down and COVID hitting and all this, we were supposed to go to Mexico for nine days for spring break. And when I booked that trip, I was like nine days, just the three of us, like we might, I don't know if we can do it. I don't know if we can't, like, we might get really sick of each other. Cause we you know, typically, do you I, have this? Yeah. Somebody told me there's a difference between a vacation and a trip right. and vacations. You just have to give up your own needs. A trip, right. you could settle in. So nine days, you might right. be in between there. But yeah, I, we've, right. we've experienced it, definitely. Yeah, when I was like, I think it's too long. And we booked it that long because we were using miles to fly and we had to like, that was the only option. But I was like, I don't know. Usually we do spring break with another family. Just the three of us, my poor child is only going to have us for entertainment. So that was, you know, in Dece- or no, December, January that I'm thinking all this. And then this happens and we've had to be in our house now for six weeks, just the three of us. And a lot of it has actually been pretty joyful. Like it's actually gone really well. And my husband and I had a conversation probably three weeks in where we were like, we're doing pretty well. Like this is not awful. Um, I mean, I don't want it to stay this way forever, but like, and so I, it was this awareness of, oh, like we could, it, as it turns out, we don't get to go to Mexico, but we could have totally handled nine days in Mexico. Our tolerance for each other, I think is different. Um, and our, our, the settledness and the quietness has actually been really, really nice. Um, my son is loving it. He loves not going anywhere. We got in the car as a family on Sunday for the first time in six weeks 
to do a drive-by birthday parade for someone. And when we told my son we had to leave the house, he started crying. <laughs> he was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to be in the car for 30 minutes. And I was like, you have not left this house except for bike rides in six weeks. <laughs> You're going to cry. So this like calming and quieting, I think has been a huge, huge gift and proving that we can do it which does give me perspective on all the money we've spent on summer camps in the past. I'm like, do we really need to spend that money? Maybe he could just hang out at home. I, you know, I totally hear you. The thing about the summer camp, I'm going to just, since you mentioned it. Yeah. You know, I was talking to the director of Game On Sports for Girls, which is the mm-hmm. camp we do, which we love so, so much. And at this point, they're not sure if they're going to be able to have it. Yeah. And it's based at schools. So, you know, even if camps could happen, I don't know if their camp could. And we were talking about these different ideas, one of which was like a virtual camp. And I was like, you know, part of the beauty of camp is, yes, our child gets, you know, um, exposed to all these different sports and learns and has some social time. But we get the day free. And so virtual camp or just staying home is babysitting your child. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't want that to happen. I I don't either. (laughs) Camps to happen. It's selfish or is, I don't know what. No, I totally want them to happen, but But I don't need them. I don't need them to the, I thought I needed a camp every single week of the summer. Like that's what we've done. That was the goal. I hadn't had him signed up for everything just yet. And now I'm like, Oh, if I have like a few whole, you know, I mean, we might have no camps this summer, but just moving forward, recognizing like, oh, if he does like, you know, a few camps and then he's home for a few weeks, like that's, we're fine. We're fine. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I have to ask you something because you're the queen of giving me permission to be imperfect. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned um, maybe he's going to go play Minecraft now this afternoon or whatever. Yeah. Well, so I felt like we had a win last week or two weeks ago when her iPad usage was down to like six hours a day or something. And I was like, I'm just saying that out loud. I'm feeling like slightly embarrassed. Like, oh my gosh, is that, that's not a good thing. Right. So we feel this like total uh, guilt around having our kids eyeballs stuck to a screen. And then she started saying, I think I want Minecraft or there were a couple other games. And I'm like, she's not a gamer, but she watches these YouTube channels of kids playing the game. Yes, and we were like, so I think weird. I'd rather have her play the game than watch a kid play the game, right? <laughs> so I'm just trying to wrap my head around all of it. Like, tell me, tell so, me what to do. <laughs> oh, so we had no video games prior to COVID. Um, and my, my son hadn't really pushed for them. He was like just starting to clue into like some people had game systems at home. Um, and we, he's in the first grade. So we were like, oh, well, some kids do have Nintendos, but not first graders. And so far, none of his fam- friends' families had blown our cover. So we were good. He like knew some second and third graders who had Nintendos. So he kind of thought this was a thing off in the future that he might have access to. Um, we had had a lot of people tell us about Minecraft and like tell us like it's super innocent. You can maintain the settings in a way that makes it like it's actually really great and creative. And my son is a huge Lego builder. So they were like, he'll love it. So we finally, we let him get on it and he does love it. And what's been really cool is that it's actually allowed for communication with friends. We've had a couple different friends where we let them play together and we get them on Zoom so they can talk while they're playing the game and they're in the same Minecraft. I don't know how to talk about it. I called the other day, I said, oh, are you and your friend playing in the same Minecraft room? And they all started laughing at me. Like I, 
am so not cool and I don't, so I don't know what you call it, but they play the same, the same realm, I think, or world or whatever. Um, not room though. <laughs> and noted. And like, right. So this is actually like totally the, this is valuable social skills and it's the only social skills he's practicing right now. So we've actually really been lo like loving it and we're great. Like, thank God for Minecraft, you know, like it's been great. It's been a creative outlet. It's been a social outlet. So yeah, we've really um, shifted in our perspective on that and it'll be interesting moving forward. I feel like, I feel like after this, I'm going to have to be like, you do have to have play dates with people in person sometimes. Like you can't just only have play dates on Minecraft. Yes. That's going to have to be like a little bit of that bandaid rip is like, okay, yes. two weeks. It's like, you know, sleep training two weeks yes, of yes. less of this and more of this and then right. they'll be fine again. Right. You know, one thing that I think I could maybe, maybe you could say you are an expert at or is just something that's been a natural tendency for you is creating and building community. So we're talking a lot about connection, right? Mm -hmm. We know that for people to live the longest, highest quality lives, they need to have strong community and feel valued in their community, yeah. right? You yeah. have undoubtedly created an amazing community of women. I think it's only women, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Who, who are drawn to you for various reasons. Like maybe you can talk a little bit about why community is so important to you and why, and did this just organically happen or was it something that, you know, you set out to build? So that's such a great question. And thank you <clears throat> for the compliment. I appreciate that. And I do definitely identify as someone like I embrace that one of my strengths is building community. Um, I'm really proud of that. And, and I was able to see that when I built community at my gym and I can tell you why it works for me and how it works for me. So as I mentioned, growing up macaroni and cheese kid, never exercising overweight from a family of people who are all very similar. Um, when I started working as a trainer, I really wanted to work with people like me. I didn't, not that I wouldn't work with athletes. I did work with a handful here and there, but that wasn't who I, like my heart really went out to. I really wanted to work with people like me who had struggled with body image and motivation and, and didn't really know where to start and felt overwhelmed and confused and embarrassed and, and really vulnerable in fitness settings. And when I, when I started building community and I talked really openly about that, people were very attracted to that. People loved that I could come in and say like, here's where I've struggled and here's how I still struggle. And this is what it has looked like for me. Um, and people that was very relatable. And when I started promoting that, like when you come into my gym, it's going to be all body shapes and sizes and and, and um, styles and what, like it's, it's everything and everything is okay. This is not a gym for elite athletes. This is not a gym where people show up and they're matching Lululemon sports bras and spandex and show off their six packs. And so I really embrace the fact that you can come in here and you are already perfect as is, and you can be completely vulnerable. And this is a safe place. And that came from me talking about my own vulnerabilities around my body. Um, and so I did that with the gym and I was able to see how valuable that was for people and how deeply impactful the relationships they built in that space were. And over the years, I had many of my members become extremely close friends. And I mean, to this day, they're still 
members of mine who I am in touch with on social media and I see them, you know, 10 years later, they're still running the same half marathons together and vacationing together and like doing all these cool things. And I'm like, holy cow, like not that I take all the credit for it, but I'm like, that started in a space that I built. Like that's an amazing, amazing thing. So when I went to build community around the Shameless Mom Academy, it was very much the same thing. Like I'm going to come in here. I'm going to tell you that like getting pregnant was really hard, that nursing was really hard, that motherhood is hard, that I've lost myself, that I struggle with anxiety, that like, here's all the things that are hard for me right now and today and last year. And, and here's how I'm building something around my hard things. And so when you do that, it gives everyone else permission to do the same thing. And it invites other people to be vulnerable in the same way. And when you have a community that people feel safe and comfortable and it feels like a sacred space, then the connections happen very organically. And I, I'll say that a couple of years ago, I was really being pushed to start a private Facebook group for my audience. And I was so resistant because I thought, well, if I do that, I have to be there for like every conversation and every comment. And I will just have this huge sense of responsibility around monitoring and managing a group that will take a lot of time and energy. And but I finally decided to do it kind of as an experiment. And what immediately happened is that I showed up and I said, Hey, this is a safe and sacred space. Here's the rules. Here's what flies. Here's what doesn't. We're not here to whine. We're not here to judge. We're here to be supportive. We're here to be cheerleaders. We're here to love each other and lead with compassion and kindness and all of that. And within days, like the gar the walls came down and people were sharing just tremendously intimate things. And one of my best friends texted me like two days after that group went live. And she said, do you realize what you just built? <laughs> I was like, I can't believe this. Like this is blowing my mind and exploding my heart. And it was, and it's continued to, I mean, now there's 3000 people in there and it's been the same thing, but it's because it's leading with compassion, leading with empathy. And when you stand up and you own that as a leader, then you attract the right kind of people. You attract people who need that safe and sacred space and they will treat it as such. So that's, I mean, I, that's been at the heart of what I do. And I don't think I could ever be in a job profession business that doesn't have a community element to it. Oh my gosh. Well, and I think you named, you use the word shameless in your yeah. brand. Right. And that alone, like when you're shameless, what does that exactly mean to you? Does it have to do with humility? Does it have to do with taking care of yourself and not, you know, kind of not worrying about anybody else. What's, what's up with shameless? That's such a great question. Cause it means so many different things to different people. And I ask on my podcast <clears throat> at the end of every interview, I say, how are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? And it's so fascinating to me how many people will say, tell me what you mean by that. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, whatever you want it to like, you get to choose. And people want there to be these like really clear parameters around like, no, talk about this kind of shame. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I want you to pick. <laughs> and, um, so for me, I think that shameless has to do with being unapologetic, with having, uh, with um, not saying sorry for things, not um, trying to play small, not shrinking, not trying to be small physically, not trying to be quiet. I also think it has to do with getting out of your own way and doing things imperfectly and taking action even when you're scared, um, being vulnerable, like practicing courage even when you don't want to, even when it's really hard, even when it, you know, it could, you know, even when it's extremely uncomfortable. 
Um, so I think it has to do with a whole lot of different things. And I think you get to pick how you show up shamelessly and you get to, you get to look at how that, um, how you want to embrace that. You know, Brene Brown says that we all carry shame. And it's funny, the first time I heard her talking about this, I was like, no, we don't. I don't carry shame. That is like the opposite of who I am. I was like very indignant about it. And then it's been interesting as things have grown and evolved over the last couple of years, I catch myself and I'm like, oh, maybe I do have a little bit of shame around that, or maybe this, or maybe that thing. So I think that we do have these pockets and places, even if we feel like we've done a lot of work on ourselves, we do have pockets and places where we're vulnerable and where we maybe carry shame, but we always have the opportunity to, I think, shift um, and reframe how we think about things. And so I think that's where, when when Brene Brown says we all carry shame, I was like, no, I don't. Because in my mind, I'm like, no, I've reframed all that. But there's always new things coming, right? There's always new ways where we're like, oh, shoot, I really screwed that up. And I try to very much walk right into the hard, scary things and into the things I've screwed up and own them publicly and loudly right away so that it really kind of mitigates some of that shame. Cause I don't think there's a purpose in carrying shame deep inside that we carry, you know, indefinitely and don't ever share with other people. Um, I think that we can take our shame, whatever that looks like and own it in more public ways that strengthen us and strengthen the our communities and organizations and where we, in which we serve. Yeah. And take the power away from that word. Shame. Yes, take totally. the power away from that. And I think the word itself, shameless, it's a little polarizing. Like you said, it can have yeah. many different meanings, but women are drawn to it because yeah, we yeah. don't want to carry that. And I think it's brilliant. And I love the community you've built. It's absolutely incredible. All right. We are, we are winding down a little bit here. We just had such a good conversation. Just like I when know, I was on your so show, fun. we could so have gone fun. for another hour and we could keep going. Um, and we had a couple visits from Vinny and his <laughs> tie dye. I loved, I love that. The tie dye shirt. Okay. Gosh. So my kid actually wears her pajamas like most of the day and was a battle to get her out of them. She usually wears a, um, a reindeer onesie. Or sometimes a snow leopard one. <laughs> I love, we have pajama Fridays. So we've designated a pajama day. And so that's kind of what he, and that gives me a chance to wash the tie-dye shirt. Oh, oh, that's a good idea. A designated jammy day. What's really funny, I did a post the other day. Um, my daughter is just like shorts. It's always shorts now, right? And I make skirts. Come on, wear one of our old kid skirts. But she she doesn't want anything I make right now. She wants shorts. And it's like 40 degrees and there's snow on the ground. She's like, I'm wearing shorts. I'm fine. I'm hot. So is is that like constantly? He's hot. Yes. Like getting him to wear a coat to school. Finally, I was like, fine. The teachers require them to wear coats on the playground. So I was like, you can wear it or you can carry it. I'm not having this battle. I don't care. (laughs) But I'm not carrying it for you, but you have to take it. The teachers make them take it. It's like, I'm sorry. We just had to riff on kids for a minute here at the end of the show. But, um, I mean, footwear too. It's always like so optional. Yeah. Minimal, (laughs) minimal or fancy is preferred to anything practical or with laces. But anyway, right. right. (laughs) We're like in Vinny's in vans that no longer fit. So he's just stepped on the back of them so that they're now like slide. He can just slide his feet in and out. I'm like, we could get you new shoes. He's like, no, these are fine. He doesn't want new ones. I'm like, can we please for my, to make me look like less of a negligent mother, could we please get you some new shoes? <laughs> because it, it really does come down to us in the right, end. Right, exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> 
So, you know, before we roll into the last question, I just, I kind of want to know what's on the horizon. You're a woman who grows. Growth is part of who you are. You are not someone who sits stagnant. Like where are these, where are your little growth ripples going? It's so interesting because this question is, or my answer is so different now than it would have been a few weeks ago. Um, So growth in 2020, I don't know what it's going to look like. And I don't love that. I really don't love that. Like I'd really like to have a plan and a schedule (laughs) and I'd like some like metrics that are guaranteed. Um, So in the absence of that, for me, what I can see is that, that the, that what's to come is more uncomfortable growth. It's more putting myself out there in, in different ways, but it's also more peace around, um, constant evolution. And I think that I've spent a lot of time in my careers, plural, (laughs) trying to like, I'm going to get to the certain point so then I can relax. And I know now that's not who I am. And so I think that I've, that's actually a little bit comforting to recognize like, that's not who you are and you might never retire. Like, (laughs) so just get over yourself. Um, and so I think what's to come is looking at more ways to, have impact and serve on bigger levels. Um, I think that before COVID, there were some opportunities for me to get on some really awesome stages in 2020. Now those have all been canceled, but I'm looking very much looking forward to 2021 and like pushing myself in terms of impact in that way. Um, Also writing a book at some point, I have like such a ridiculous amount of content that I know can change lives in different ways. And so there's things like that, that are things that I, for a long time, have been like, well, someday I'll get there. And now I'm more and more seeing that like, someday could just be right now. (laughs) So. Yeah. What happens when we get rid of the word someday? Right. We start doing those things. Amazing. Well, I cannot wait to see what's going to continue out of this crazy time in our lives for you. Um, let's leave our listeners with the final question I ask everyone who comes on my show. And that is, if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would yours be? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. Um, so mine would be to keep showing up. And I think that there's a lot of reasons to not show up right now. And I don't want you to not I don't want you to um, disregard your needs to rest and recover, especially in the face of trauma, which so many for so many of us, COVID is a traumatic event, but I think that you keep showing up and in whatever way you can do that day. And some days it will be a massive effort and some days it will not, you know, not need to be on a grand scale, but I think that you keep showing up every single day. And when you do that, you maintain the momentum and you maintain the identity as a person who shows up. And so whether you are just showing up as a home, not just, but you're, whether, you're, whether you're showing up as a homeschool mom and not needing to be in a professional capacity right now, whether you're showing up as a homeschool mom and working full-time from home, whether you are someone who's an essential worker and you're having to work outside the home. And I know I've been listening to interviews of essential workers who are like quarantining in tents in their yard and in their basements and garages. And so whatever you are doing, keep showing up um, and recognize that that gives you so much power. It is in the showing up that you build the tenacity and the perseverance and the resourcefulness and 
and the resilience and all of those things that really, really matter in the long run. Well, I'm going to keep showing up. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Because you know what? There is something to look forward to. It's just, it's right there. It's right in front of us. It's always been there. I love it. Well, what a great, great quality hour. My gosh, we're going to have to do this again sometime soon. Oh, so fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right, I'm back. Um, Gosh, Sarah Dean, don't you just want to hang out with her? Well, you can. Get over and check out her podcast, The Shameless Mom Academy. Actually, go back and listen to the episode I did with her. Gosh, it was probably six months ago. I'll put a link in the show notes here so you can find that really easily. Um, Didn't you love our real life interruptions? Her son was hilarious and he had that tie dye t-shirt on just what she said. Anyway, I love it. I love her, everything about her. She is just real. She is living her true authentic self. I don't care if it's kind of a buzz phrase these days. She really is. And what I truly do love about her is how she makes women feel like it's okay, whatever it is. It's okay. And men too. I know we got some guys who listen to the Run This World podcast. I don't purposely mean to exclude you. You're very included. And so when I say women in your head, just think men and women. (laughs) It's like a knee-jerk reaction for me. I've been working with women for so many years. Um, But here's the thing. I really love her final nugget and I'm just going to repeat it again and I want to, I'm going to write it down and I want all of us to keep repeating it and I'll, I'll be honest, you know that um, one of my very first episodes, in fact, I think it's episode two was Catherine Switzer and one of the things that she also says is keep showing up. So everyone keep showing up, show up to your homeschooling mama role. <laughs> Show up to your virtual conference call role. (laughs) Show up to your mask wearing grocery shopping role. Like just show up in the best way you can. That's what's going to get us through all this. And make sure you show up on skirtsports.com. Yes, we are sold out of a lot of things, but I will tell you right now, we still have a lot of other things. So if what you thought you wanted didn't exist, then guess what? It's not what you really needed. What you really needed is something else on our website. (laughs) Another one of my great friends who's been on the podcast, her name's Jillian Lackritz. Uh, She introduced me to yoga years ago. And uh, we did a class one day and we kind of walked out and we were like, eh. And she goes, you know, one day long ago, somebody told me, you get what you were supposed to get that day. So whether or not you think it was like an awesome workout or best, you know, time ever. doesn't matter. It's what you were supposed to get that day. All right, everybody, I'm going to leave you on that note. It had nothing to do with anything except uh, kind of just going with the flow. Um, keep showing up. Show up next week or the week after when I get my next one out. Because as I mentioned, these podcasts might come a little more sporadically for a while while I navigate all kinds of other crazy life stuff. And... At the end of the day, there's still time for you to breathe and work out. And guess what? That time is now. Yeah, you know it. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and we'll see you next week.